Hey, this is Wild with Creative Habits Podcast, and this week we've got the creative tipping point. Hey, so the creative tipping point, that goes into that point at which you've started uh, a project, you've started something new, and you suck at the beginning, and you go towards a point when you stop sucking, and you start creating stuff that's good and you start getting that stuff out there. Now, the creative tipping point, I think, also has to do with when you've reached a point when you get recognition for what you're doing. You get external validation for what you're doing. So you're basically moving along, and if you've started on that uh, phase of something new or you've started on a project, something different, and you've worked it in a way that uh, gets it out there to people who appreciate it, if you've worked in that direction at all, uh, because the creative tipping point uh, to, to have stuff appreciated or get that external validation these days, you know, there's so much noise out there. You're going to have to do something extra. You can't just build it and they will come. You'll have to do something extra or extra things, usually typically labeled marketing, but it doesn't always have to be uh, thought of as such. But you have to do some extra things to really kind of broadcast out there. And you can't be afraid of no eyeballs, no attention. You have to reach that creative tipping point. And that point is is a point when you get that external validation and it kicks in a bit of bit more motivation for you because because you get that. But the the kicker is you can't rely upon that external, you know, validation at all. Uh, meaning you have to have the internal motivation to reach that creative tipping point. And even beyond that, you even though that external validation, that appreciation from other people, the traffic, the eyeballs, even though that's something to move towards, it's not something that um, even after you reach the creative tipping point that you can really rely upon or that you should look towards because it corrupts or can corrupt the process if it goes too far in one direction. Obviously, you want feedback and all that, but still, if you start paying too much attention to a particular audience, what they want, uh, negative feedback in particular, because um, you're going to get that negative feedback, and if that harms you in an emotional, makes an emotional impact that uh, is detrimental to what you're creating, to your creative spirit and heart, then that will actually uh, you know, uh, blow you pretty badly in, in a direction you don't want to go. So you have to have the resilience, resiliency, emotional resiliency, or um, motivational resiliency to see it through past that creative tipping point. So that's basically the creative tipping point. And most people give up before they reach it, well before they reach it. Um, and that's because it's an unknown. Nobody knows when you'll reach that creative tipping point. You'll, no one will can tell you definitively when you'll reach that point when you'll stop sucking and create stellar um, you know, content or stellar images, whatever you're doing. And they can't tell you really when um, you'll reach that point when people will start to take notice, like, and comment, and all that. Okay, so no one can really tell you when that creative tipping point will happen. And because it's unknown, because it's idiosyncratic, meaning what you do to get there is up to the internal parts of you and what you do. It's very personalized. So no one, since no one can tell you how long it takes to get there, and it is so unknown, 
that unknown creates a bit of uh, agitation or worry. Uh, it, it also, you know, your, your, your motivation and willpower uh, will only get you so far. So here, here's the thing that I like, and, and part of the creative habits and willpower combination that works so well, I think, or it's an ideal, let's just say, uh, because, okay, willpower is known to be more like a battery. Um, now, it's popularized, willpower, grit, uh, it's popularized by movies and books as being that, you know, macho, kind of like uh, that, that grit that no matter what, you're going to make it, you're going to do it no matter what. And that willpower, okay, is something that is like a battery, and people don't realize it's like a battery, and they put uh, their willpower towards things that may not you know, be necessarily a priority, but they grit through and, and, you know, the battery depletes. And by the end of the day, it's exhausted. So you can't rely upon willpower at the end of the day or week or month or year to get you to where you want to go. Meaning you're not going to necessarily, it can happen. Obviously some people do, uh, you know, perform through just willpower alone, but it's often not something you should rely upon to get to where you want to go. And that's where creative habits kick in because you're combining your willpower and habits together. And I like this concept and it's an ideal, obviously, but I think it works quite well. Meaning you, you put your willpower, which is like a battery, so it can deplete. You put your willpower towards creating habits establishing habits. And when you've established the habits, those habits actually get you to a place where you can keep on going without as much willpower. They kick in. Once that habit actually kicks in or habits, whatever you've created to kind of like systematize things, it's the algorithm in your brain that just kicks in through a trigger. Once you've created that habit or habits, then it takes much less willpower energy to actually keep going. So then you can use your willpower for other things. Okay, then you can use your willpower to, to really leverage it a bit further. Okay, so when you use creative habits of willpower, you can get much further and actually get to the creative tipping point and past it, okay, to move past it. But here's the kicker, okay, because the creative tipping point is unknown, but so are the habits, meaning the creative habits that you set up or that you want to trigger and get that algorithm to kick in with your brain, those habits don't have a definitive time when they kick in. Now, popularly, it's known that, or supposedly known, that it takes 21 days or 30 days or whatever to create a habit. But here's here's the thing that I came upon, and I'll have links in the show notes to some of what I'm talking about to back it up and so on and so forth. But Basically, the idea is it's actually more on the average of 60, 66 days or so. But see, with averages, of course, you've got people who are on one end of the spectrum and you've got people on the other end. So you have some people who can do it in 21 days, okay? And you've got some people who are going to do it in like a year. <laughs> Maybe it, it takes a long time to really establish that habit. And so averages can lie in some respect to what it will actually take for you. And again, it's it's also something where it's um, popularized because of that spectrum. It's very attractive to think that you can create a habit in 21 days. And so that's become very popular. Uh, and it gets people because they believe it. And in fact, it can work for some people. Again, it's not like it doesn't work because you cut the averages again, right? 
But you should look long term, uh, both for those creative habits and also for that creative tipping point. Now, here's what I think uh, is another part uh, that's kind of funny uh, with with habits and things like that that are idiosyncratic. Um, is that people concentrate upon the tool. And here's what I mean. Okay, so let's say you've got um, somebody who's, uh, you know, practicing meditation. They want to become enlightened, right? So what they do is they they go through a process. They do some training with monks, and, and they get to a certain point, and they get whacked on the side of the head. And they get whacked, and suddenly something opens up. And this is true, by the way. People have been whacked up on the side of the head and become enlightened. Anyway, they get whacked on the side of the head and boom, something opens up inside of the brain and, and they're enlightened. They're enlightened beyond belief. Now, they still have to stack the wood afterwards, meaning just because you're enlightened in that moment doesn't mean that life stops for you. You still have those challenges of enlightenment. But beyond that, people then take that story and someone says, oh, I was enlightened. I was whacked upon the side of the head. And people say, oh my goodness, that's awesome. What stick did you use? <laughs> they, they then go, and they say, they, they, they talk about the stick, right? It's, they concentrate upon that stick and, 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 and they say, okay, well, the mistake is concentrating. They, they get a stick that's you know, made from the most quality wood harvested in the most sustainable manner from the earth and those who make them. And, and then the stick would be created and sanded for many hours by trained monks while they chanted enlightening mantras. It should get soaked in water from a special river said to contain the tears of the Buddha. Then after drying in the pure air of the mountains, only the oil from a walnut used to keep its uh, luster are used. And after getting the stick, then most concentrate on a specialized course for whacking your head with a stick. Only it's been transformed into something more remarkable, like whacking your head to spiritual enlightenment or enlightenment in a stick or spiritual enlightenment whacking system. They then try to learn and follow the practice for the whacking the head at just the right angle, at just the right time and motion, the right amount of focus, or whacking others to enlightenment. Now, all these are broken down into easy-to-follow video modules with worksheets, cheat sheets, and a Facebook support group. Then case studies are given with photos of successful students getting whacked with a stick and afterwards being with their families happy as ever. And everyone talks about how great it is. And then they did it so you can too, right? Does this sound familiar? If you've spent any time in uh, or looked at any sort of marketing, and <laughs> it might be kind of funny, but if not, it, it is a, kind of a familiar tactic, right? And, and people mistake the stick in the course as being the important part of getting whacked instead of the head and getting enlightened, right? So the creative habits are the same way. It's, it's not that you, you know... You hear someone drinking some tea and starting their writing at 10 in the morning in a particular way at their desk, right? The light is in such a way. And so you ask them, oh, what kind of tea did you drink? <laughs> oh, it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, that must be the optimal time. And, uh, and so you, you think, oh, I should be able to do that too, right? And, and really, it's just them. They're, they've figured out some sort of trigger. And that tea in that moment in the morning works for them. It's not going to necessarily work for you. But you figure it out. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you're going to not drink their tea. You're going to drink coffee instead. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's idiosyncratic. Meaning, instead of concentrating upon the particular tea or the time or whatever, you need to come up with your own triggers. 
Okay, so this is usual, right? Um, but where I'm going with this is that 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 creative tipping point and getting willpower and the creative habits together, that all is something that has to be kind of figured out along the way. And the past episode talked about going forth without knowing, okay? Going into something and not knowing. And and to get to the creative tipping point, you need to take that that knowing without knowing so that you can... Or, or doing without knowing so that you can basically get to the creative tipping point and beyond to establish those habits, habits and use known things, use willpower, but understand that it only gets you so far. And what will get you further are those habits, but, but, but you have these unknowns and you have to be comfortable with them, right? Okay, so I'm going to come around to, to um, why I'm going all, all into this and how it's going to apply to, to uh, something else I'm doing. But um, here's uh, one of the things that gets in the way, um, you know, besides the unknowns, uh, but getting to the creative tipping point, oftentimes um, there's an internal uh, monster, so to speak, uh, an internal element that will block you from getting to that point. And and what it is, you get really excited about something, and then that's the gas, right? But there's internal element, and usually it's from, and again, I'll have links in the show notes that kind of describes where this kind of uh, comes from. But there's um, there's something that puts on the brakes, and that internal element, that internal monster is usually from something, you know, early on in your childhood or whatever, or some sort of belief that you had. So you, you get excited about something, you put on the gas, the internal monster that's come from the past or subconscious puts on the brakes and you end up spinning your wheels, right? So there there are four, I've I kind of uh, synthesized this uh, into four uh, th- tools or kryptonite, the kryptonite that the, the internal monster sort of uses uh, as a way to validate its um, power, right? So the, the, the four tools... Um, Okay, so the four tools are basically talent, tools, traffic, and time. Okay, so uh, I kind of, you know, this book's been written and courses done on each of these. So obviously there isn't necessarily um, a solution (laughs) for getting past these, but it is something to know before they creep into your brain. So you don't get sidetracked from from reaching beyond the creative tipping point. So it's it's just something to know and to to figure out ways for you um, specifically your own uh, ways, your own personality. What's going to get you past those points? So I kind of let me describe each of them so you see where I'm coming from. Um, so talent or skills, those are often used because that's one of the best reasons for producing you know psychic results. And once you have more skill, then you'll have what it takes. What it means is you wait, um, you know, until you get the skills, and then you'll have the talent, and then and then you'll be fine, right? And so, obviously, if you just start with your first step, that's as old as time. You know, everybody advises you know just take that start first step of applying on a regular basis, but it's still it's tough. It's not necessarily like you can take that idea. Oh, just take your first step, and boom. You know, because there's still some sort of block. So you, that that's this kryptonite that never really goes away. It's it's talent or skills, and um, it's just going to be there. So that's that's one of the the kryptonites, so to speak, to to get around. The next one are tools, and and in the digital age, this this one is a big one because it's 
the next shiny object. It's like there's always better tools, always cooler tools than the ones you have in hand. And so if you just pick the tools you have, okay, and start doing with what you have, you can actually produce a great result. Okay. Um, obviously, this has been done over many times. Uh, if you look at video, it's it's like, oh, you got your iPhone. Yeah. Okay. You know, your iPhone can produce uh, quite the results. So why not just use what you have? So it's best to focus on the output, not the not the tools. And then treat yourself every once in a while uh, after some mile markers. You can see if that helps. So you get to a mile marker uh, in terms of your ability or in terms of uh, attention, you get traffic or so on. Um, and that, that, those treats uh, may you know, entice you to, to make it past and get, get through that. But you, know, you always have to research other ways to get around the, the shiny object syndrome. It's, it's not something that's always easy. None of these are, really. Uh, now, and then you, you've got traffic or attention. Um, and it's the supreme external validation. Um, so you, you work to get enough traffic, and then the larger it gets, the more you bend your work to please it. That's, that's one of the, the problems with too much external validation. But one way around this is establishing an internal fortitude. Um, so you can you know, create when no one is watching, that whole idea, right? The fortitude helps get past the creative tipping point, and then... It serves as a guide when strongly influenced by, you know, just pleasing the crowd or to avoid negative feedback. So that's another one to expect to come across, right? Attention, uh, time. And time is one of the best excuses of all time, <laughs> right? Okay, so especially, especially if you can prove what you're doing isn't providing, like, a good return on investment, a good... You know, you're creating video, let's say, and you're just not getting the eyeballs. Uh, you just give up on it because it's just not working. You're just not uh, good enough. You uh, you need to make money. You need to uh, use the time which you have is limited. You know, you have, everyone has limited amount of time. So it's easy to toss out what you're doing for something different because it's like, okay, it's not working. Uh, I only have so much time in a day. I'm just going to go with uh, something else because obviously it's not working. Um so you have to experiment, obviously. All these are experiment, but one thing to do is to start with why. And uh, obviously overdone kind of things, Simon Sinek. If, if you uh, watch his, uh, it's very powerful uh, if you grok it in a way that really gets to a deeper part of yourself, uh, you can use it to get past this time scenario. Actually, in all those, why is pretty powerful. But, you know, everybody talks about it until you actually put it into place, it's just going to sound like one of those buzzwords. Um, and it is, it's just a buzzword until you grok it. Um, and once you grok it, you combine willpower with habits. It's easier to establish techniques for turning off Facebook or a TV program you want to watch, let's say. So what to do about the larger internal monster block is different, you know, for everyone. Um, you could start with some free writing exercises to get ideas on what might be blocking you. But usually it only gets you so far. And so you have to kind of dig deeper. Um, and I'll, uh, there's some links in the show notes, um, some cool uh, places you might try. You know, um, some people have luck with, um, you know, Tony Robbins or others. And some just, you know, again, it's the buzzword. It's, it's you know, you can only 
handle so much of, of people uh, or videos like that. But there there is something to the internal monster, and there's no um, that break is going to be there. It'll disguise itself. It'll use the 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 kryptonite I've just mentioned as a tool to to keep you believing in its uh, validity. So we loop back around, and these are kind of like some thoughts about your habits, willpower, creative tipping point, and all of them kind of point, um, for me anyway, towards things I've been doing recently, which are challenges, and did the video challenge, and <laughs> I'm going to revamp that a little bit. Um, I think there's some definite value of going through that challenge, but as always, there's some, there's always more, and one of the reasons for this episode is is because in the beginning I asked for some ideas on what people you know might get stuck on with um you know their video challenge and you know time being an element that a lot of people use um and and I I don't necessarily think a challenge necessarily will help you get past that time element it's it's something it's a tool to kind of jumpstart habits like i believe that challenges jumpstart that habit it can be a trigger to help you establish the habit but again let's say you go 30 days you never know when that habit's going to kick in so you really have to be willing to go beyond 30 days so if you did the video challenge you're like ah this didn't work think about it in terms of it's jumpstarting you gotta get to those triggers that are going to work for you so you can uh, get to that habit, so um, you may need to go, you know, much longer, especially with something as complicated as video, uh, to to get it to really kick in. But but I believe if you just start with templates and you get to a place where you're creating over and over again, um, it, it will kick in. Um, so that brings us to the to the next part, which is what I mentioned in the last episode, which is the funnel challenge. Now. The funnel challenge, I thought about this challenge in the previous video challenge, and um, it brought up the creative tipping point because I believe, you know, you're jump-starting towards these habits, but you have to reach beyond the creative tipping point where it will actually, you know, get you uh, what you need. The funnel challenge is going to be uh, great because it's built up into make creating a funnel, but it's not just your typical funnel. Now, typically... You know, if you're not familiar with funnels, they're uh, basically a fancy way of saying you want a person to go from step A to step B to step C. And what is that path? Like typically with a website, you'll just have a landing page and or you'll have your different pages of the website. And there's nothing really to it beyond that. I mean, you might have to think page if they sign up for something. But you haven't really um, focused your attention upon a particular path that a, a, a person would take. Now, landing page is one step closer to that because typically with a landing page, you, you're designing it in such a way that you're funneling their attention, meaning you will typically get rid of the, the navigation that a lot of your pages will have and you focus upon one particular conversion uh, that you want to happen. Um, and this is often to obviously get people's email address, but you know, it's, it's, it's a landing page and it's set up in such a way that you funnel them in that direction. Now with funnels, they can be more complicated because you can get people to go and after they've kind of opted in, then what do you do next? And this is a biggest missed opportunity that a lot of, you know, people don't uh, actualize. And that's 
saying thank you, but in thank you in such a way that you give more than people expect. And they love it, obviously, and it makes them then open your welcome email and wel- and, and, and other emails. But there's another funnel aspect, and that's just, this is why it's a little bit different than a typical funnel. Because the funnel, you know, some people do upsells, downsells, so on and so forth, and that's the whole funnel uh, part. But the the real technique is in funneling the experience of what the person experiences when they go through that path that you've created for them. And that experience, the more you can pinpoint that experience to, the, to particular people and their desires or needs, um, their specific desires or needs, the better off you'll be. What I mean is, instead of just them signing up for your uh, emails, when they click on a button that says they're interested in a particular topic, then they get more emails towards that topic so that they get content that they're interested in. Okay, so... For those of you that are interested in this, because I've tuned some of you out, I'm sure, at this point. But the, for those of you who are interested in funnel challenges, which you should be, because you, you need to funnel people along a path. And you got to really think about why, where you're funneling people, what you're trying to get them to, and how can you make their experience more specific, um, not just broadcasting emails, not just having a generic experience for everyone. You really want to use... Um, as much uh, that, that you know about each person as you can to deliver something more. Um, and if, this, this is so cool and something that is well beyond funnels, but link in the show notes, obviously, but uh, Avinash, who works for Google, if you've spent any time with Google Analytics, you'll know Avinash is, uh, has, is deep into an- analytics and turning data that you get from analytics into something that's actionable, that's um, sexier, that's uh, that, that makes sense to more people. And he uh, is an amazing uh, person in terms of how he's able to craft, um, you know, data that's really not, you know, averages and such that can trick people into making decisions that they shouldn't. He's able to change that into something that's really specific. And he talks about AI, artificial intelligence, and how we're at a point in time where a lot of us are going to need to pivot because of artificial intelligence. And I love his advice to, um, to kids. Now, this is on his blog, Occam's Razor. Again, the link's in the show notes, but he talks about his advice to kids. And he says that, um, y- you know, basically this, uh, anything they learn right now, uh, you know, in school is actually going to be not applicable when they graduate. <laughs> Meaning what they're learning is actually help them in their job scenario when they get out of school, right? So uh, there's a lot in that statement right there. But he says um, there's three things that will serve them the best, uh, you know, going forward because of artificial intelligence and the ability of machines to learn as they go. Not just a programming method, but an ability to learn without that programming input. So he says that that at this point, uh, and this serves everybody well, but at this point, you should, if you have kids, say, uh, get them to establish an emotional resilience. Um, 
it's in a strong emotional core uh, in the face of challenging situations, you know, love, work, insane people, <laughs> the ability to be happy. So emotional resilience. Um, and then recognize and exploit change. Um, and th- th- this is big because things are changing so much more rapidly. Uh, and that's the reason why you would go into university or go into school and come out and not have that uh, those skills needed for what's happening at the moment because things are changing so fast and technology changes everything starts to change faster than our ability to write textbooks and get those through committees and um, create courses that reflect what's needed beyond so you you need to recognize and exploit change and that's hardest for many to do because they, they, they like to uh, normalcy, right? And so instead of thinking, I'm going to be an engineer or teacher, uh, he's suggesting you have a portfolio of skills to pull from, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And then you have discipline. Be laser-focused and ability to get things done and ignore distractions. Um, and this part is a weakness, uh, I believe, for many in this, uh, you know, w- w- with access to technology comes the ability to be distracted in a, uh, every second of every day. So, uh, but discipline um, and focus is not the same, but he, he goes into that just slightly. So I thought this was interesting in terms of how to look at um, what you know, creative habits and creating in general, because it will morph and change as you go. And it's that um, being comfortable with not knowing and still creating. Um, and uh, I, I, I think as creatives or hand pe- people who, uh, you know, create um, artists and such that create from their hands, that uh, what they create becomes more valuable in the artificial intelligence age because of that imperfection, which I mentioned before, but I, I, I do. I, I think that it'll become more of a thing, but we'll see. Okay, so this moves us back around to the funnel challenge. Um, and also I wanted to apologize to yes, there's no uh, interview at this point. I, I am kind of switching focus and I'm needing to do a couple different things, leverage a couple different things for the podcast to continue. So um, I'm not going to go that, into that too much, but I do want to say the funnel challenge uh, for that. If you decide to do the challenge, which you definitely should, Here, here's how it works. A 14-day challenge and you do uh, – you establish a funnel uh, – um, minimum viable funnel within that 14 days. Now there's a second half to the challenge and that's going beyond the 14 days for which you are able to enact those email sequences that respond in a way that's specific to different people and their particular interests. So, um, I think it's really cool, and I think it's a great way to jump in and establish the habit of creating a path or funnel for um, what you create. And so I encourage you, link in the show notes to it, obviously, to the challenge. I highly encourage you to, to sign up. It's free. Uh, there may be some tools, obviously, that you may or may not need to get. Now, I'm going to have it set up in, um, for some resources to make it so that you can spend 
uh, less than you might need to. But there's also some tools that make it so much faster and quicker and also that you learn um, much more than if you try to do it your all yourself. But I will have something to set up so that you can have a minimum viable funnel set up with just WordPress and, and PayPal to get basically a very simple funnel, but one that, that will work um, uh, for most uh, people who have something to sell. But if you want to go a little bit deeper, anyway, after that 14 days is the second half. It'll make sense when when you go and see the funnel. But the second half will be, uh, again, going a little bit deeper with um, with your funnel experience uh, with for those that, that come to your website. So, uh, okay, that's that's about it for, for this week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, again, sign up for the challenge. think you'll really enjoy it um, and get a lot out of it. Um, and next week, um, well, you'll have to show up and see what's there. Thanks a lot for listening.